Welcome to Faith Church. We are glad you're here. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Matthew, and my wife Amber and I have the great joy to uh, pastor here, and uh, it's a joy that you would take some time to be here today. I think you're here on purpose, but we really do believe that this experience, this encounter, these next few moments uh, would really be life-giving for you. And uh, we're here for you. We believe God is for you, and he wants to speak to you. We are uh, episode number two, if you will, in a collection of talks entitled, Twas the Night Before. We're looking at the Christmas story and seeing the different things that often happen at night uh, to help us walk through this season with greater amounts of rest and uh, encountering Jesus in uh, just a new and fresh way. I want to read a passage of scripture out of Matthew chapter 1. This is the uh, one, I would say it is the number one passage in all of the Christmas story that is skipped most often. Some of you probably have never read it in the context of the Christmas story, and it is probably one of the most obscure passages you would seen, as you would read through it, you would just probably just go to sleep on the whole thing. You're like, I, I don't even know why it's there. But I want to I want us to take a fresh look at it today. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1, this is how Matthew records it. He says it like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. You'll notice that there are four and five women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. This, was, this had never happened before. You never included the women in the genealogies in ancient times. How many of you know Jesus shows up and he likes to break some stereotypes and some molds, and he does it within his own genealogy, and he does it on purpose? Whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, who invented a really terrible truck, Ram the father of a minute. Oh, that, that was just... Some of you are like, I'm throwing stones in a minute. Just wait, it gets better. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. She was a prostitute and a harlot. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. He was a terrible father, an adulterer, ruined a murderer, but yet God used him as the greatest king until Jesus shows up. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. There's the third woman mentioned. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Say that seven times fast, I dare you. Jehoshaphat, 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 Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Now you're beginning to see why nobody reads this right here. This is, don't sleep on it though. I'm telling you, don't, don't sleep on this. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of of Josiah, and Josiah was the father of Jeconiah, his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Now, after the exiles to Babylon, 
Jeconiah was the father of Shelatiel. Shelatiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abinahud. Abinahud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azar. Azar, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, now he was the father of Manhattan. Manhattan, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus. And that's your partridge in a pear tree. Today, I want to bring a message to you entitled, Don't Sleep On It. Don't Sleep On It. Now, just real quick show of hands, how many of you are the kind of person that the minute your head hits the pillow, you're asleep? I hate you. I just <laughs> wanted to confess that in church. How many of you are kind of more like me? You've got to read something, watch something, do something before you can fall Asleep. Yeah, some of you are like, what is sleep? I know, you've got a young baby at home, it gets better, one day just hang in there. I, I, a lot of us have trouble falling asleep, and a lot of us have lived our lives with sleepless nights. There are these things in our lives that often will steal our sleep and rob us of having silent nights full of peace. These are mostly internal things. These are, these are things like the minute you lay your head down at night, stress has a tendency to go up, doesn't it? You start thinking about all the things that you've got to do that you haven't done, that you feel incapable of doing, that the person you forgot to text, the thing you forgot to send with your kids to school that day, and the stress and the blood pressure, it just creates this anxiousness and this acid reflux begins to develop in your own life, and you are robbed of any amount of sleep because there are bills, there are people, there are uh, family issues and problems, there's illness, there are loved ones in the hospital, there are neighbors that annoy you, the list goes on and on of the things that would circle in your mind as you try and fall asleep and find peace, but there is none to be found because it just robs you. The minute you lay your head down and the lights go out, for many people, fear begins to develop, begin to be afraid. What if I can't make it? What if I don't get the job? What if my children... What if this really is the end of my marriage? What, this is when children, as they fall asleep at night, darkness, and they start seeing things and imagining things. Why? Because fear grows in the dark. What you can't see, what you can't foresee, what you can't fully discern often creates an element of fear within you. Oh, if only we could see into the future. If only we had that crystal ball to know if this was a good investment, to know if we should start the business, to know if this is the, the man of our dreams that we should say yes to. Oh, to know if this is the right career path. And we are so crippled by fear that it just grows and grows and grows as we lay there restless when we want to find great sleep. It's in the nighttime that people begin to feel the most lonely where there used to be somebody laying next to you, now there is no one. It is vacant. It is gone. Or maybe you roll over and you see that there is somebody there, but the disconnection of your relationship is so much so that it's like you have just become roommates coexisting. There is no passion. There is no intimacy. There is no deep connection. It's just this sense of loneliness. It only reminds you of the breakup and the family that you never had or the friends that are making fun of you, the best friend that has left you, and loneliness just begins to swell up and eat you alive, and all you want to do is go to sleep. 
but you can't because you're trying to sleep on something. Trying to sleep on something that you weren't meant to sleep on. You're trying to sleep on the regret, the shame, the guilt, the bad decisions gone wrong, the sin and the life, and there is no peace inside your soul. It is only turmoil and disconnection and discomfort, and it just turns in you regret and shame begin to shout at you. You call yourself a Christian. You haven't been to church in forever. And regret and shame, I can't believe you would ever say that or do that. How dare you even think about going to church the next day. You're going to get struck down with lightning the very minute you walk through the doors. They're going to judge you and look at you and criticize you. You can't do it. You can't even go to Christmas time. Just make Christmas about something else because shame of what used to be, the regret of what used to be, the belief that used to exist that doesn't exist anymore, it's all gone. And it fills you, it surrounds you, and it eats away at your rest. Friends, I came to tell you, you don't have to sleep on that. All of those things, the shame, the regret, the stress, the anxiety, the fear, you don't have to sleep on it. You don't have to sleep on it. And the portion of the Christmas story that we just read, most people sleep on. We look at the genealogy and the history and the lineage of Jesus, and we're like, eh, what does that have to do with anything? And so we just kind of like skip it. We go over it. But I want to let you know there are some things that, it, that are. There are some things in your life that you don't need to sleep on. There are some things that you don't need to have this connection. See, this, the problem that so many of us have as we go to sleep is that the history of our past is screaming really loud, and we can't go to sleep. It's the, it's the wondering of what might come next that causes us to not go to sleep. It's this idea that our past and our stories behind us are too shameful, too regretful, too riddled with failure and disappointment. We can't go, we can't go to sleep on it. Friends, you're not supposed to sleep on it. In this, this passage in Matthew 1 where we read the genealogy and the history of Jesus, I, I want to let you know that history tells us some things. Your story of your life before today tells you something. In, in this case, in Matthew chapter 1, history is trying to tell us that every name listed here, a lineage that goes back 42 years for Jesus. 42 different generations listed here. Three segments of 14 each. All these generations, all of these names, all of these people, they all have a story. They all have a story to tell you. Their history plays a part in the story of who Jesus is. All of these names are, are part of history and they tell us something and they had a role specific to the arrival that all would point to this one day when Jesus would show up on the scene. To that one day when Christmas would, would come. Three different segments. Three different times with, with men with terrible decisions in their past. Men who honored God in their past. Women who played a specific role in the life and the lineage of Jesus. People who you would have never thought would have ever been associated with Jesus are included in his genealogy. They all had a story to tell and they all had a part to play. Why? Because this history, this genealogy has a bit of a story 
to tell us. Each name has a story, and they count. And they count. You know, here, here at our church, we count lots of things. We count how many people show up. We count how many cars get parked here each service. We, we count how many first-time cards get turned in. We count how many people uh, raise their hand and respond and say yes to Jesus. We had a goal this year where we wanted to see, we were believing God that we could be a part in seeing uh, 160 people say yes to Jesus this year. To date, we've seen 121 commitments to faith in Jesus already this year, and we still got the biggest day of the year in Christmas coming up. It's all right. You don't have to patty cake for it. For me, I'm super excited about what God's doing in our midst. Well, what is it, Matt? Pastor, it's just numbers. Yeah. But every number represents a name. Every name represents a story. And every story needs a redeemer. And his name is Jesus. So yeah, we count those things. Why? Because every one of you have a story to tell. Every one of you play a part. Those of you that are serving in our church, those of you that are giving and participating in that way, those of you that are inviting friends, those of you that are making this a welcoming body and a, and a place that people know that when they show up that they can belong here, they can take a deep breath and realize we're not trying to put on some fashion show, we're not trying to be impressive, we're not trying to read between the lines, we've got people showing up from all walks of life and we're really okay with that because all walks of life were re represented in the the story of Jesus himself and in his history. And every person has a part to play, every role. Every time you serve, every time you give, every time you invite, every time you smile and look somebody in the eyes while you're here, every time you wear some of our Faith Church merch, every time you're playing a part in getting the story of Jesus into somebody else's story. History tells us some things. And in the case of Jesus in Matthew chapter one, his genealogy, all of his, his who's who, the people there telling us something. What are they trying, what's, what's Matthew trying to get us across? What's the writer trying to help us understand? You, want, you know what he wants you to understand? That God is faithful. That he started something 42 plus generations ago. And he's been slowly and steadily playing a part, getting people to do what their part is, having a long game in mind, helping people know that one day there will be a woman. Her name will be Mary. She will be a virgin, conceiving a child of the Holy Spirit. And he will be called Emmanuel. And he will be sent to save his people from their sins. It's the mark of history. It changes all of time. All of our time and dates split the moment Jesus shows up. Friends, it's B.C. and A.D. You have a B.C. too. You have a story of your life before Christ. Some of you are still living in that story. I believe that today would be a day that your day begins when Jesus actually shows up into your life and you encounter the real Jesus for the first time. And all of your story begins to change. I want you to understand that while the past is important, it tells a story, you don't need to be ashamed of your past. You don't need to be ashamed of your story. You don't need to be ashamed of what God has done in your life. The Bible says that we overcome, we live victorious, we get a leg up and win. 
when we live in a way that gives glory to God by the word of our testimony and understanding what Jesus did at the cross was for you personally. When you share your story and your testimony of how you overcame addiction, how you had a broken marriage, but God restored it, how you were sick, but then you were healed, how you were lost, but all of a sudden you found this community of people and God did something in your life. Your story, it matters. But your history doesn't have to determine your future either. There are things in your past that God can redeem and reroute and redo that allow his purposes to be seen. It's interesting. This is a list about who's your daddy, essentially. This is the who's your daddy chapter in the Bible. And in some cases, who's your mama? And it's this who's who thing. But if we're not careful, we could fall into the trap of the who's who. Uh, Whose son are you? Whose daughter are you? Oh, what what family did you come from? Uh, When we first moved to Fort Scott a little over three years ago, and even still to this day, I'll interact with people and they'll say, oh, tell me your name. And I'll say, oh, my name's Matthew Hunt. They're like, Hunt, I don't don't know many Hunts. Who's your people around here? As if to say everybody in Fort Scott like is related. What is this, Arkansas? Some of you are like, hey, I'm from Arkansas. I know. <laughs> like, like there can't be people who don't like have deep roots here that we can't show up and be a part. It makes me laugh. We play this who's who. If you're related to the right person, then you'll get your leg up in this community or in this town or in this thing. Friends, we don't need to fall into the who's who trap. Whose kid are you? Whose name do you carry? Whose name do you bear? We don't need to fall into that who's who trap. There's a phishing scandal uh, online where uh, they try and get you to, to start typing in who your, who your last name and who your grandparents are, and they try to help you discover your genealogy, but really it's just a phishing, phishing scandal to steal your identity. Some of you have fallen into the trap in your own life where somebody's been trying to find out who you are, who you belong to, what your heritage, your family name is, whether it means something or doesn't mean something, and you've gotten trapped in a scandal. Can I tell you something? God says it's not really about who is who, it's about whose you belong to. You are a son and a daughter of God. You're an heir to the most high king. You're redeemed. You are loved. You are bought with a price. God himself seals you with his name and he's adopted you into his family. That's whose you are. You belong to Jesus. You belong to God. That's worth getting excited about. It's not about the family, your last name. It's about the savior that's been burned and seared into your heart. Don't fall into that trap thinking that your last name means something. It's not about your last name. It's about your Savior's name. It's about who you look to and link to and connect to. Your identity is not determined by your age, by your race, by your gender, by your sexuality, by your bank account, by the car that you drive, by your abilities, by your hobbies or your highlight reel on social. That's not who you are. You're a son or a daughter of God. That's whose you are. We don't need to fall into the who's who trap. I came to tell some of you today, number one, this thing. Don't sleep on your past because God was at work. Don't discredit or discount the detours in your life because God was at work. God was at work in you. For a lot of my life, I resented certain facts about my childhood 
and resented certain things growing up. Now, now let me be really clear. I, I, I had a, a great upbringing, loving family, grew up in an amazing church, a lot of opportunities that came my way. I was really grateful. I remember when I was in eighth grade, I was going to have to drop out of the private school. And in order to continue going to this uh, Christian school that I wanted to go to, I had to then begin to pay my own tuition to go to that school because my parents couldn't afford it. So every day after school, starting halfway through my eighth grade year, I worked multiple hours every day after school and on the weekend to pay my own tuition all the way through to the day I graduated high school. It was a great experience. I learned something, but for a long time, I resented it because I missed out on all the athletics that I wanted to do. I didn't get to do all the things that all my friends got to do. I had to make some sacrifices and things that I didn't really want to do. But I've come to learn something. In the kingdom of God, there really aren't sacrifices that, that he calls us to make. Sacrifices get consumed and then they're gone. I really believe that God gives us opportunity to plant seeds that are going to produce something in the future. Don't sleep on your past because you were just planting seeds for something that God wanted to do in the future. Anything in your past you allow God to be present in, anything in your past that you give and you give over to God, that you repent from, you turn from, you say, God, would you do something with it? God will show up, redirect it, reroute it, realign it to a new purpose in your life. Sure, it may have taken you longer. You thought by now you'd be married. You thought by now you'd be the head of the company. Maybe you thought by now you would have already declared a major. Whatever it is that you're disgruntled with about your reality and your history, can I tell you, don't sleep on your past. God wants to be at work in it. God wants to be at work in it. Don't discount it, discredit it, or throw it out. Now, I gotta be honest. I'm not one of those people that say, I don't live with any regret. I don't regret anything that I did in my life. I don't regret anything about my past because it made me who I am. I think it's a bunch of malarkey, to be honest. No, I, I still regret some things. But I'm really grateful that God knows how to redeem everything. It's not so much about me as much as it is about my surrender to God allowing him to work in me. I regret that I didn't learn the lessons. I regret that I let pride blind me for so many years. I regret that I pushed people away who God wanted to bring close to me. I regret that it took me so long to understand my calling and my identity and who he was. I regret some of those things, but my regrets are overshadowed by the redemption that Jesus brings. Friends, don't sleep on your past. God perhaps was using and he will use every experience, every encounter, turn it around and allow you to be the person that you are today. It's who you are. It's who God's called you to be. Don't sleep on your past. God is at work. When, within the first year of us moving here to Fort Scott and beginning to pastor the church and we began to see some things grow and things begin to shift and multiply and we begin to add team members and do different things all around here, all of a sudden, things started to, started to pick up. And every once in a while, they still get picked up pretty quick. And I start to like have these like deep breaths, like, okay, God, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know when's it all going to quit. When's everybody going to walk out? When's everybody going to realize that I'm just a weird guy and they shouldn't even sit here anymore? Like, like when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? And all of these things at night begin to keep me awake. I had two of those moments this week alone where I couldn't sleep because all of these things were stirring in me and worries and concern and anxiety as it related to leading this church. But it was early on, within a couple years, or within the first year of us being here, 
I remember having a moment where I was sitting out with the Lord just trying to be at peace for a minute, reeling through all of my inadequacies, all my inabilities, all my insufficiencies, all of the things that I was so sure were a part of my story. And God began to show me little by little, stage by stage, every season of my life from when I was eight years old all the way up until the day where I, where I was at there, began to show me different opportunities, different things that I am always a part of, things that I learned, uh, people that I met, opportunities to serve where I served, roles that I occupied, jobs that I had. Every single one of them were giving me skills and were planting seeds that needed to be harvested when I showed up here. Things that I never thought I would use, all of a sudden I was beginning to use again. Skills that I had learned when I was 13, all of a sudden started showing up again. And I was like, oh, I, I need that experience. Thanks, God, for that. And I had the answers that I need. Why? Why? Because you can't sleep on your past. God is always at work. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Anything you're willing to give to God, he will redeem, restore, renew, and reroute to make sure you get to where you need to be in your destiny. And not only so that you show up where you need to be, that you show up with all the skills, tools, resources that you need to accomplish what it is that he's put in front of you. Friends, I want you to understand this is how God works. If it is in your responsibility right now, it is only because God sees that you have the ability within it to respond correctly. It is your response ability. The ability is already in you to respond in a God-honoring way. That's the grace of God. So don't sleep on your past. Don't be ashamed of your story. Tell your story to anybody who will listen. Tell them how good God's been. Tell them how, how he saved you, how he's changed you, how he's remade you. You don't need to be ashamed of the struggle or the doubt or the worry or the insecurity because every moment you say, God in me has done this, you're giving him praise and glory. So don't sleep on the past. God was at work. And when God works, it's worth celebrating. So don't sleep on your past. Don't sleep on it. Don't discount it and discredit it. But I also came to tell some of you this second thought today. Don't sleep on your past. God wants to give you a peaceful sleep. Don't sleep on the negative. Don't sleep on the shame. Don't sleep on the mistakes, the mishaps, the failures the broken relationships, the addictions. Don't sleep on those things. Don't let those things keep you up at night. God wants to forgive you, redeem you, and give you all that you need so that you can be at peace. Look at this verse in Psalms 127, verses one and two. It says this, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guard stands watch in vain. In vain, listen, this is in vain you rise early. Some of you are like, see, I told you, you need to sleep in, right? In vain you rise early, but in vain you also stay up late. Toiling for food to eat. Listen to this promise. For he, being God, grants sleep to those he loves. Whose are you? You're God's. Does he love you? Absolutely. 
than sleep at night is your promise. Peace, when you lay your head down, is a promise God has for you. The reason why we don't have that peace is because we're trying to sleep on things we weren't meant to sleep on. We're trying to sleep on our own efforts. We're trying to build the house in our own way, make our name great, make our name happy, trying to be our self-made man. It's the most oxymoronic statement I've ever heard in my life, self-made man. As if you gave yourself your own genes. You gave birth to yourself, right, okay. No, someone else gave birth to you. And it was the life of God that breathed into you that actually gives you your life today. Who gave you the skills and the ability and the knowledge and the skill set and the character and the charisma and the personality that you have today? It wasn't you. You didn't make that on your own. God's given those to you. God's given those to you. Don't sleep on your past. God wants to give you a peaceful sleep. And he, and he lists in this passage all these things that we stay up at night worrying about. We wake up early because we can't sleep and we can't go to sleep because we're stressed out thinking about provision, thinking about food, thinking about paying bills for our house, thinking about doing and accomplishing things, trying to, trying to, we worry about things that we can't control. We're frustrated. If you keep reading in verse three, he talks about your kids. How many sleepless nights have you had worrying about your kids? But he says, the promise that I have for you is actually sleep. I, I, I wanna be a part of your life and give you sleep. The promise that God has for you is sleep. It is rest. Don't sleep on your past. Give it to God. Let him forgive it. Let him handle it. Let him move in your midst and then go to sleep. You wanna know why I couldn't sleep this week? Because I was holding on to things that I was trying to labor over in vain, pointless. I can't control it. I don't have the wisdom to solve the problems, but God does. And when I give them to him and choose not to sleep on those things, guess what? I have peace and I can sleep. And so can you. It's a promise from God. And so many of us stay awake and we sleep on our regret and we think on our shame, the conversations that we could have had, the things that we said that we wish we could take back, the arguments that we had, the way we treated our coworker, the way we reacted uh, when our kids did something that we didn't like, all of those things, the financial mistakes, the, 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 the internal judgments that we've had towards other people, our own sins, our own failures, our own labels that we let other people label us with, all of these things kind of keep us up at night, but they don't have to. Because when you give your life to Jesus, Jesus says all of the old, all of your past, it's gone. 2 Corinthians 5 says, and when you say yes to Jesus, new life begins on the inside of you. There is something new on the inside. You're not the same person that you once were when you say yes to Jesus. When you allow him into your life, you don't have to sleep on your past. He wants to give you peaceful sleep because he forgives your sins. Look, look at Hebrews chapter eight, verse 12. It says, for I will forgive their wickedness, listen to this, and will remember their sins no more. When you repent, when you say, hey God, I, I blew it. I didn't do the right thing. I didn't say the right thing. When the things that are keeping you up at night, when you give those over to him, not only does he show up and have the power to do something about them, but where shame has been shouting at you so you can't go to sleep at night, 
He says, I don't even remember those things. God makes a choice for those who ask for forgiveness, for those who come to him in honesty and surrender that to him. God looks at you and says, I've made a choice to remember your screw-ups no more. I'm not gonna bring them up when you do it again. I'm not gonna remind you when you get in an argument. I'm not gonna say, I told you so. I've made a choice to not remember them anymore. Hey God, you remember when I did this one thing? And I know we had forgiveness, but I'm still thinking about God. It's like, what are you talking about? It's like selective memory. He chooses to remember them no more. He is a redeeming God. God knows how to redeem and reroute anything that you're willing to repent from. The question is, are there things in your past that are keeping you up at night that you've never repented for? If you repent from them, which just simply means change the way you think about them. Shift and go a different direction, do a turnaround. God says, I'll forgive those things. Retrain your thoughts and your tracks that you've been living in. Just do it, reroute them. Some of you, it's the generational thing. Grandparents dealt with it. You, your parents dealt with it. You've been dealing with this sin, this identity, this iniquity, this, this transgression. It shows up generation and generation and generation. You be the generation that puts a stop to it and say no more. Alcoholism isn't a part of our family anymore. Drug addiction isn't a part of our family anymore. Uh, incest is no longer sexuality that is unpure to God. That's not a part of our story anymore. Anger and rage and bitterness. No, it's not a part of our story anymore. Anxiety, depression, fit. No, it's not a part of our story anymore. I'm giving it to Jesus. I'm not gonna sleep on it. I'm gonna let Jesus redeem it. Psalms 130, verse three through four says this. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who, who could stand? Who, who could stand? Lord, if you actually kept a record, who could, who could stand up against the record that you kept? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. Some of you are remembering things that God wants to forgive and redeem and remove. Some of us have the wrong idea of God. You, you think God's a gotcha God. You think he's sitting up there watching, gotcha. Put your hand in the cookie jar, gotcha. Had a lustful thought, gotcha. You lied again, gotcha. You're thinking about committing adultery, gotcha. You're speeding again, gotcha. Lying on your taxes, gotcha. I think God's a gotcha God. He's just waiting in heaven to get you. No, he's not. He's a, I got you. You're my son, you're my daughter. I got you. He's a, hey, happy gotcha day. I've adopted you into my family kind of a gotcha God. You've got the wrong gotcha. You're putting the wrong emphasis. No, it's not about what you've done. It's about the goodness of God, his forgiveness, his redeeming ability, his willingness to take you, bring you into his family, give you his name, put a robe of righteousness on you and all of his promises, all of his inheritance, all of the blessings now become yours because of whose you are. Don't sleep on your past. God wants to give you forgiveness and peace. That's the kind of God that we serve. 
I got two questions for you today. I really want you to give some thought to. Number one, what do you need to remember? What in your story do you need to remember that's gonna remind you of God's faithfulness in your past? Some of you need to remember those moments when you were lonely, but his presence showed up. Some of you need to remember when you were backed up against the corner and God made a way where there wasn't a way. Some of you need to remember where there was infertility, but God miraculously did something. You need to remember that. You need to remember when you prayed a prayer and God showed up in that moment and he changed something in you. You need to remember the moment when you heard his voice for the first time. You need to remember what it was like to receive forgiveness for something. You need to remember what it's like to be touched by his presence. And that's why we lift our hands and sing because he's done something. And some of you need to remember some things. What do you need to remember about God to keep in the forefront of your mind? What do you need to remember? Second question is this. What do you need to forget? What do you need to forget? What is it that you need to turn to God and say, God, this is yours. You can have it. I repent. Would you forgive me? What do you need to forget? What do you need to forget? What do you need to remember? What do you need to forget? To help you with this, I want to give you a real practical step. On your phone or computer, would you go to the Bible app or Bible.com? Many of you use this app all the time. I do every day. But if you go to the free Bible app, you can go to the search feature and type in a word. Maybe it's adoption. You need to remember that God's adopted you. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's sleep. What is it that you need to remember? Or what is it that you need to forget about and replace those thoughts with something more true? Search for it. Find a verse. Then I want you to take that verse, click on it, and they have this ability where you can create an image with that verse on it. I want you to do that. Then I want you to save it. Use it as your phone backdrop or your desktop on your computer. And this week, every time you look at your phone or you look at your computer, you will be reminded of God's promise to you. Some of you, you just need to go find this verse in, uh, in Psalms 127. You need to click on it, make it a verse, and remind yourself that God wants to give you peace and sleep at night. And you just need to look at it all week long, again and again and again. Let's get God's word right in front of us, front and center. And when we get God's word right in our midst, truth begins to wash over our minds. And we begin to regroove the train tracks of our mind. And the train of thought that runs in our mind that would keep us up at night will now be changed to a train track of thought to know that God gives me peace and sleep at night. Don't sleep on it. God wants to give you peace. God wants to give you peace. Would you bow your heads as we close in prayer today? Father, I've done my best today to deliver your word in truth with conviction and with clarity. I pray right now in this moment, Lord, you would help us to respond in a way that would be honoring to your spirit. While we're still praying, church family, if you're here and you'd say, you know what, there are some things that I need to remember and some things that I need to forget. And uh, I'm gonna go find a verse this week and I'm gonna think on it and look on it. If, if that's your commitment today, you say, I'm gonna take that step today. Would you just put a hand in the air so we can pray together? Hands are going up everywhere. There's so many of us. God, you see these hands? Lord, I pray that you would help us follow through on this, to, to find a verse to replace the lie with the truth, to, to discover who you are, what you say about us. Maybe it's about our identity or 
the true forgiveness or your love in our life or the peace that you want to give to us. Father, I pray that you would help us to do that and find the verse that we need. Speak to us this week, God. We thank you for it. As we're still in this moment of prayer, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I, I, man, I'm not anywhere close to God. I've got so much of my past, I don't even know that he was willing to forgive. But if you say that he wants to forgive me, if you say that he wants to adopt me and make me a part of his family, man, I'd love to be a part of God's family. I'm not right now, but I want to be. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to trust in who he is. If you're here today and you want to give your life to Jesus, would you just put a hand in the air real fast so we can pray together? You just put a hand in the air real fast. Say, I want to come to Jesus. I want to surrender my life to him. I want to be a part of his family. Thank you for those hands. Thank you so much. We see those. Thank you so much. Church family, can we all pray this prayer out loud together? We, we don't want anybody to pray by themselves today. Let's, let's say this prayer out loud. Repeat after me. Father God, I give my life to you. Thank you for sending Jesus, your son, the greatest gift of all, to give his life for me. I receive your salvation and your forgiveness. Make me clean on the inside. I repent. Help me turn and move in your direction. May I never be the same from this day forward. Thank you for giving me a new life, a fresh start, forgiveness and redemption. I am a child of God. You are my heavenly father. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. God's good.